who's a big Olympics fan in here? Who watched a lot of the Olympics? It's hard not to watch it, you know? Like, I could not care less about swimming 99% of the time, but for some reason, when the Olympics are on, it's like I can't get enough swimming for two weeks. Especially Ryan Lochte, right? We love Ryan. No. <laughs> but I, I love track and field. I think track and field is like the most, like these people, these men and women, yeah, like Usain Bolt, are so incredibly fast. That's got, that had to be staged, right? That's like the greatest Olympic picture ever taken. It's amazing. What would it be like to be Usain Bolt for a day? To like have his body for a day? I mean, I'd be running everywhere, you know? Like, newspaper, I'll get it. You want me to get the mail? Bathroom, right? And all I see, like, I don't know hardly anything about Usain Bolt. All I see, all I know about him is that for 20, 10 or 20 seconds, depending on if he's running the 100 or the 200, he just absolutely annihilates everybody, right? Like, all I see is him getting in the starting blocks, focusing his mind, envisioning the race, and then when the gun goes off, he just takes off and crushes everybody. Like that's, that's all I know about Usain Bolt. But I actually have no idea what it takes for him to get ready. You know, like I have no idea what it takes uh, for all of the time to prepare for a race like that. The hours, the, the weeks, the months, the years of training that it takes uh, to get him ready for a race. The preparation, the diet, right? like the experience of racing again and again and again. And we can be tempted, if we're not careful, we could be tempted to think, man, that dude is just a stud athlete and it's just raw talent. When in reality, he trains super, super, super hard. Well, tonight, in many ways, we sit here at the beginning of a new race that we're getting a chance to start here real soon. As a campus, this fall, we get a chance to move into a new building, and we're super, super excited about that. And tonight, I want us to think about and, and really uh, what it, maybe what it takes to get ready as we're getting set to go on this next race as a campus. I want us to just kind of dig into that and what that's gonna be like and the kind of preparation that I think we need to be start thinking through now uh, in order to get ready for this fall. And I wanna do it by looking at a group of people in the Bible that I think in many ways were at a similar point in their history as we are, as they were kind of beginning this next leg of a race of their own. And so I wanna do it by looking at ancient Israel and Joshua. Okay, so if you got a Bible, flip it open, if you would, to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible of your own, by the way, we got a whole table full of them back there. Trent is ready to go. He will run like Usain Bolt and bring you a Bible. All you got to do is raise your hand. Uh, in the church Bibles, it's page 169. I'm excited for tonight. I'm really excited to dig into this and, and hopefully help us all get on the same page. As this fall, we're going to have some significant changes happening, so I'm excited. Do you guys know the, or, or remember, have you ever learned the history of ancient Israel? I think this is, this is maybe a helpful thing to think about. Like, we're, gonna, we're jumping in. This is always good. When, we're, when you open the Bible, we can be tempted to just open it up and go, we can go, uh, 
Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Okay, right here. And we can pick it up and we can start reading and we completely can miss the context of what's going on in the passages that we're reading. And so I want to give you a, just kind of a quick catch up to where we're going to dig in tonight to maybe give us a big picture kind of overview of what was happening at the time. So God had called out at the very beginning. So this is early on in Genesis. God had called out a guy named Abram who trusted him in a really unique way. And God made a promise to this guy guy named Abram, that he would turn him into a great nation. So he and his wife, Sarah, didn't have any kids at the time, and they're old. And he makes a promise to them. He's a guy that trusted God in a, in a very, very unique, deep way. And God made a promise that I'm going to turn you, your family, into a great nation. And he asked Abram to leave his home and leave his country. And God said, I'm giving you this beautiful land, this promised land. And so Abram then left everything that he knew. He left everything. I mean, imagine, imagine the faith that goes with that. He left everything and he followed God's leading. And later God changed his name to Abraham. We call him Abraham most of the time today. And God did everything that he promised Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had a child named Isaac, and their family grew, right? Isaac had a child named Jacob and Esau, actually two kids, Jacob and Esau, and their family grew, right? Jacob had 12 sons. They would later be known as the, the 12 tribes of Israel. This is, this is uh, Reuben, Simeon. You wonder if you remembered all of their names, you know? Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Thali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of names to remember, right? So hey, Jacob has 12 kids, the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And one of those, of course, is Joseph. Joseph's brothers didn't like him. And so they actually uh, tricked him and sold him into slavery. Crazy, not pretty rotten brothers, right? They sold him into slavery in Egypt, and he went from being a slave, amazingly, to being the second most powerful person in the entire kingdom, the most powerful person next to Pharaoh himself. And when there is this terrible famine in the land of Joseph's family and Egypt, his family had to end up going to Egypt to get some food. And Joseph, the guy that his brothers sold into slavery, Joseph was actually the guy who was able to give food to his family and save his family. One of the most amazing, I, every time I read that story in the Bible, you, you just get a little misty at him. It's an incredible emotional story. And so then his family, uh, who would be called Israelites, they moved to Egypt and they grew and grew and grew into this mighty nation within a nation. So they're in Egypt, but they're kind of their own nation within Egypt. And after Joseph and his brothers died, the Egyptians eventually feared how big these Israelites had gotten, these people, this group of people had gotten. And so they enslaved them. They turned them into slaves. But God eventually raised up a guy named Moses. Probably a lot of us have heard of Moses, right? God raised up a guy named Moses who, along with his brother, showed the Egyptians the power of God through a bunch of these terrible plagues. You've probably read about them. These terrible plagues and eventually led Israel on this mass exodus. It's where we get the name of the book, Exodus from, this mass exodus out of Egypt to a beautiful land that God had promised to give them, and he had promised to give to their ancestor Abraham. But on the way to this promised land, the Israelites were rebellious to God. And so instead of going straight into the promised land, they had to literally wander around the desert for 40 years as nomads, essentially homeless, for 40 years wandering around the desert until all those that had rebelled against God 
had died. And so at the end of those 40 years, Israel's leader Moses eventually died too, but God raised up his protege. His protege was a guy named Joshua to take over the leadership of this nation and to lead them into the promised land. So just as, as Israel is about to go to cross over into the promised land, okay, with their new leader Joshua, that's where our story picks up. Okay, here we go. Joshua chapter one. We're going to start at the very beginning, verse one. We're going to look at nine verses tonight. Ready? After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the, from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, the greatest leader in the history of Israel, right? As I was with Moses, so will I be with you, Joshua. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7, he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and, and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay. So these are the words that God himself speaks to Joshua as Joshua is taking over a pretty challenging group of people to lead, right? The Israelites. And he's taking over from the greatest leader in the history of their nation. Okay. So the Israelites had spent about 40 years wandering in the desert. It's estimated that about 1.5 million people came out of Egypt. So when these plagues happened and finally the Egyptians were like, go, go, go. Moses was like, let my people go, right? And finally, you know what me up there saying, right? Uh, eventually he lets the people go. And it's about 1.5 million people that exit that country. It's also estimated that that journey to the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them, should have taken about 11 days. 11 days. But they rebelled, and so God kept them wandering in the desert for 40 years. I mean, just think about that. 40 years in a desert with no permanent home, wandering as nomads. And yet, during that time, God took care of them, and he showed himself to them, and he readied them, he prepared them to go one day into the promised land. And so he led them in lots of real tangible ways. He led them physically, visually, by uh, a pillar of cloud by day. So, I mean, he, he showed them where to go. He, was a, he showed himself as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And whenever that thing moved, they had to follow, right? He showed himself, uh, he instructed them how to live their lives to the fullest, the way that, that they were to do it in, in good, honorable ways to him, to follow his ways. He gives them the commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. He says, live this way. This will give you life to the fullest. 
He protected them from the Egyptians. He protected them from other nations, right? He was their protector during that time. He provided food and water for them. He gave them every, miraculously, every day they'd wake up to this bread-like substance on the, on the ground, just showed up on the ground every day except the Sabbath. The day before the Sabbath, they were to collect double so that they wouldn't have to do it on the Sabbath. But God miraculously provides this for them for 40 years in the desert. They're thirsty. He says, Moses, hit that rock. Moses hits the rock. Water comes out. Even the clothing. Think about this. 40 years. I mean, it's not like they can run to Walmart and pick up a new pair of shoes, right? Even their clothing doesn't wear out during that time. During that time, God readied them. He prepared them to go one day into the promised land, knowing him, knowing that he was with them, knowing how important it was for them to follow his leading. They had this history with God, right? Because 40 years are tough, but they have this history with God, and they have these undeniable experiences with him. It's like they're training, and it's uncomfortable. Training is not often comfortable, right? It's challenging. To train, you do things that are hard. I mean, imagine being wandering around homeless in the desert for 40 years. Not, Not really pleasant training, right? But now they've been readied, and God was telling them to get set and to go into the to the land that he had promised them, to go on the next adventure that he had set in store for them. And so God tells Israel's leader, Joshua, to be strong and courageous. Did you see that? In those nine verses, it tells them that three different times. It tells them, be strong and courageous. And Joshua takes that to heart. In fact, it's interesting, later as he's talking to some of his military personnel, they're actually going and beginning to take this land, he uses almost the exact same words that God uses to him, that God used to him. He says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. The Lord will give us victory. That's what he says to them. Guys, listen, I think that God says the same thing to us tonight, too. I think he says the same thing to us tonight, too. Be strong and courageous. I I sense as I pray, like as we're on the verge of some pretty substantial changes to our campus, I sense God saying to me, be strong and courageous. Now, we're not trying to conquer a people, right? We're not about to cross the Jordan and, and forcibly take a city. But we stand here as a church getting ready to finally have a home in Barberton, right? Where we can do ministry seven days a week We can go love people anytime we want. We could go help them anytime that we want. We could reach the city with the gospel of Jesus. I think he tells us the exact same thing tonight that he told Joshua thousands of years ago. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Question is, will you and will I? Maybe you want to, on the back of your program, we always leave space to write stuff down. I think when you write it down, it helps you remember it in a deeper way. Then you can go back and you can look at it again. Maybe you want to write this down. Here's a question I want you to think about. Will I be strong and courageous or weak and cowardly? Will I be strong and courageous or weak and cowardly? Something about me as a man, I hate that word cowardly. I don't like the word weak either. Something about that. I don't want to be that. God says to us, be strong and courageous. It's hard to believe. We've been doing this for over a year and a half now. 
the Barberton campus, setting up and tearing down every week. And God's been with us the entire way. He's blessed us. He's done amazing things over this past year and a half. People have come to know him during this time. Leaders have been raised up. People have been serving in ways they've never served in the past. He's readied us up to this point for the next step. Question is, will you move when the, when the gun goes off and the race starts? Will we move with strength and courage? See, as a, as a follower of Jesus, we have no reason to be weak and cowardly. Like, we have absolutely no reason. You and I, we're not prisoners of our fears. We're not prisoners of our anxieties. You can be strong and courageous. In fact, you and I should be strong and courageous. You know why? Because God is with us. God's with us. Our strength and our courage come from him. As I sit here tonight and we say, be strong and courageous, I'm not saying do it in your own strength. Like, sometimes we can think it's about us. I'm not a very strong person. I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've been through. I don't have courage. I struggle that way. Listen, it's not about your strength. It's not about my strength. It's about the God of the universe, the one who made everything that is, the all-powerful, holy, just God of the universe who knows your name and called you out of darkness into light. It's, it's about the one whose spirit is living inside of you if you've committed to Jesus. It tells us that lots of places, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the same spirit, by the way, that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans chapter 8, right? 2 Timothy 1, it's not a, a spirit of fear or timidity, but the spirit that's living inside of you and me is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Guys, I know this. The weak and the cowardly will not be used by God. They won't. They won't be used by God. You may, you may argue with that a little bit or disagree a little bit. I've racked my brain trying to think of anybody in the history of the church that was weak and cowardly that God used in, in any kind of way. It's not there. And no one who relies on their own strength and no one who relies on their own courage will accomplish anything substantial for the kingdom of God either. It's not about you. It's not about me. Ask yourself this question. When you're struggling, like when you're fearful about something, when you're anxious about something, what do you think about? Like what do you, what do, you do? Do you think about like ways that you can not be fearful? What I need to do, I gotta, I gotta work this out, I gotta make this happen. Or do you naturally go to God strength? Do you go to God and go, I'm struggling. I'm fearing. God, give me courage. Give me your courage. Show me that you're with me. Show me that I don't need to be discouraged. If we don't receive the strength and the power that God offers, we're going to be cowards and we're going to be weak. What, what does your adventure, like your part of all of this adventure look like? It's part of Grace Church. Like, what kind of things do you dream of? When, when you think about being strong and courageous, like, what kind of things is God tickling your heart with right now? What are you passionate about? What are you excited about? What do you need to step out and do that God is calling you to do that you cannot do in your own strength, that you cannot do with your own courage? Or you have to rely on him. 
there's another thing that I observe with Joshua and Israel, and in, not, this is actually earlier, Numbers 13 and 14, prior to where we picked up the story, while Moses was still alive, Moses sent Joshua and a guy named Caleb and 10 other guys, one guy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? He sent 12 guys out into this promised land. They hadn't taken it yet. There's other people living there. They send these 12 guys out to go kind of spy it out, to go explore it. Like, let's, let's see how good it is, you know? And when these spies, these explorers, they go into the promised land, they look at the land, and what they saw was, it's an incredible land. I love how they describe it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. I don't know where that expression comes from, but I love it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Like everything that God says. They came back after 40 days over there, and, and they said, this place is incredible. It's amazing. Everything that God said, and even more. But then 10 of them, so there's 12 to go over, right? 10 of them, not including, excluding Joshua and Caleb, they come back and they're like, yeah, man, the land's amazing. It's amazing. But listen, the cities are big and they're fortified. They're strong. And the people are powerful and they're strong. And we saw giants over there. Yeah, giants. There's no way we can take this land. We we, got to come up with another plan. We got to come up with a plan B. Only Joshua and Caleb had the faith and the vision to see what God could do and what God promised to do. And it's interesting, of all of those 12 men that went over there, only those two, Joshua and Caleb, were the ones that God allowed to to see the promised land, to actually go into, to enter the promised land. Here's what I ask myself when I read that, when I think about that. Will I engage this world as it is or how it could be? Think about how you engage the world. Will I engage this world that we live in as it is or how it could be? Here's what I mean. Joshua and Caleb saw the exact same things as those 10 other guys, right? I mean, they went to the same places. They saw the exact same things. They saw the same rolling hills. They saw the same fruit trees. They saw the same fortified cities. They saw the same giants, strong people, but they saw it from a very, very different perspective, right? They saw it from a completely different perspective. 10 of them saw it through very human eyes. They saw it with pessimism. They saw it with negativity. They saw it with with nearsightedness. They saw it only considering their own strengths. But we're not that strong, right? But two of them, Joshua and Caleb, saw it through the eyes of faith, right? Ten guys saw it through very human eyes. Two guys saw it through the eyes of faith. And they saw this land with optimism. And they saw it with vision of what it could be. And they saw it with hope. And they saw it understanding the very power of God. Let, let me ask you, like, let's, let's bring this into the 21st century. When you look at Barberton or whatever community that you spend your time in, where you live, work, and play, when you, when you look around you, what do you see? Like, what do you see when you look at your world, at our world? Do you look around and see heroin addicts and overdoses everywhere and, and like no hope of it getting better? You look around and, and see, you know, pornography and this new sexual revolution that's destroying families and innocence and go, I don't even know, I don't even know, I, I can't stand, I just, I'm just going to shut my ears to it. 
Do you see these evil ideologies spreading all over the world, even in our area? Corruptness, brainwashing people to do awful things. Do you see a political system that's broken in many ways and rewards the people with the biggest mouths and the biggest wallets instead of the most integrity? We could go on, you know, look at our educational system and human trafficking and worldwide poverty, our welfare system, like we could go on and on. How do you see all of that stuff? Do you see it with frustration? Do you see it with pessimism? Do you see it with hopelessness? Do you see it with anger? Do you see it with self-righteousness? A callous heart, maybe? Or, when you look around, do you see it differently? Do you see it through the eyes of faith? Do you see it through the eyes of God? Do you see all of that stuff that I just mentioned a minute ago, and does it break your heart? Yes? Does it break our heart enough to actually do something about it? Does it move us enough to actually get up and do something to be part of the solution? Do we see people like real people who are struggling and lost and making decisions that are hurting themselves and God and others? Do we see people that are longing for love and, and acceptance and purpose and hope? And does it make us want to introduce those people to the God of love and purpose and acceptance of hope and his church of love and purpose and acceptance and hope? Like, do, we, do we actually have optimism that God will change people's hearts? It's so easy to look around and be discouraged and negative. Guys, God's still in the business of changing hearts, right? He's still in the business of changing people's lives, changing people's perspectives, changing people's realities. How about this? When you, when you look at our fallen, sinful world, do you see all of those same sinful tendencies in your own heart? I do. All of those desires, all those same desires. Does that, does that bubble up humility inside of you? See, I get really frustrated with Christians that look around and they see all of the negative, they see all of the terrible things going on around them and they complain, 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 they isolate themselves, they talk about how evil and how bad this stuff is because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, those are the very same people that do nothing about it. Nothing about it. And so they look at the land the exact same way as these 10 guys and they go, it's, yeah, it's nice, but it's terrible. It's not for us. We can't do anything about it. See how big those giants are? Instead of looking at that land and doing something, looking at that land through the eyes of faith. I, I, this, this hit home for me uh, maybe 10, 12 years. I had this, actually she was my assistant at the time. She was my administrative assistant. And she called me out. Like, I, I don't even remember what I was complaining about, something, I worked at a different church at the time, I think I was complaining about something about the church or something about our culture or whatever. And she stopped me and she goes, you know, you're really negative. <laughs> she goes, you're really negative. Like, you're always seeing the bad side of things and you act really pessimistic, like things aren't gonna get better. And listen, she's like the most positive person you've ever met in your life. Because, you know, you, you want to react and go, well, so are you, right? 
Like, I'm not that bad all the time, jerk. <laughs> but I didn't. I stopped. Because she did it in love. And I did like that painful inventory, you know? And you look at your life and you go, man, I, I can be pretty negative. I, I can focus on what's not instead of what is or what could be. It was so good for me to actually step back and go, I, I'm going to make a decision that I'm not going to live my life that way anymore. Because living that way is not honoring to God. That's not being a Christian. Recognizing all of the negative things in our world, right? All of the faults, all of the sin, and then getting grumpy about it, that's not being a Christian. In fact, that's being a sinner. I would say that's the opposite of being a Christian. It's not what it's about. We recognize it. But man, we do something about it. And we think about and we pray about ways that God can change those things and what we could do. We know there's problems all over the world. We don't pretend like everything's good or we don't say that bad things are good, like they're all right. But we can't just sulk about it and constantly act negative about it. We see it, we acknowledge it, and we believe that the powerful God of the universe can actually do something about it. We ask him to do something about it. And then we get up off of our butts and we do something about it, right? What separated Joshua and Caleb from the other guys is they saw what it could be. They looked through the eyes of faith, knowing that the God that they served was big enough to defeat those giants, it was big enough to destroy those strong, strong, fortified cities. How do you see the community that we live in today? Do you see it like the 10? Like, oh my goodness. You see what's going on? You see how terrible it is? I don't, think, I don't think things could ever be better. Or do we look at it and we go, it's, it's rough stuff going on. Man, we got a big God. And he said, be strong and courageous. And he said he was going to be with us. That's how I want to see things. But one last thing, one last thing. There's, there's actually tons more in, this, in these nine verses, but one thing that I see from Joshua and Israel as they head into the promised land. And it's this. They had to be united. So you have, I don't know how many people there were by that point, 40 years later, maybe let's just say 1.5 million people, right? This gigantic group of people. If they weren't on the same page, if they weren't committed to God, if they weren't all committed to move into the land together, this would be a very, very different story, Right? They had to be united. In fact, it happened later. Later, uh, they went in, as they were in the promised land, they kind of started to do their own thing. They actually never took all of the land that God promised them to take. Do you know that? God promised them more land than what they eventually took because they all started to do their own things. But they would have never been able to conquer any of that land had they not been united in following God's mission for them. And guys, I think it's the same thing for us. Like, we are so much stronger when we're together. Here, here's my question for you. Will I unite with others to do God's thing or go it alone and do my thing? Okay, ask yourself that question. Like, honestly, ask yourself that question. Will I unite with others and do God's thing, like his mission for us? Or will I try to do it alone? Will I try to be a lone ranger and do my thing? See, others need you. Some, some of you need to hear that tonight. Others need you. We strengthen each other's weaknesses. We fill in each other's gaps. When somebody falls down, we're there to help them up. When we fall down, there's other people to help us up. You, you know what it's like? 
It's like if you build a wall. Throw, throw up that next slide. It's like if you build a wall. I don't know why builders do this sometimes. I'll drive by like building houses and there'll be one wall up. If you build a wall and you got one wall up, how strong is that one wall? Not very strong, right? That's why they put those supports there. They put those boards there. But if you have a bunch of walls all connected to each other, throw up that next slide, and you have a house, how much stronger is that? And the walls are all different, right? Like some of them are structural, some of them are for aesthetics, some of them are real tall, some of them are short, some are interior walls, some are exterior walls. But when you have a bunch of walls all together, interwoven together, that structure is so much stronger than any one wall on its own. And guys, it's the same thing with the church. Because it's the same thing. We're so much stronger when we're together. You know, when I counsel people who are struggling, who are dealing with sin or uh, feeling separated from God or whatever it is, they're struggling whatever way, do you know almost every time they are isolated? They don't have other Christians that they're connected with, that they have relationships with. By ourselves, we're not very strong. But together, man, we have incredible strength. We were, as a staff this, uh, this past week, we were kind of brainstorming, or I guess remembering, reminiscing about some of the cool things that we've been able to do over this past year and a half meeting together. And they're all things that we could never do alone, that, like none, that any of us could ever do on our own, at least not as good as what we did them. So I, I, we made a list. I, it's just fun to think through some of this stuff again. Uh, setting up and tearing down for services every week. I, I, I tell you what, this, this afternoon was a really cool time. I came in here. So we get here about 2.30. First guys start coming about 2.30. We start unloading these trailers. I got here about 3 today. And I walk in, and there were more people here than I think I've ever seen at any of our setups before. It was, like, amazing. Like, we were done an hour early. It was incredible. We just kind of, we gathered together for a second, and we talked. And uh, I'm, I'm absolutely humbled and shocked still that we can do this sort of thing every week for the last 52 weeks because people sacrifice and they give and they're committed and we're united in this. I think of setting up for uh, July 4th at the park, you know, inviting people. We want to be a presence in the community. Well, let's go do stuff at the park on July 4th, right? We've done this two years in a row now. All of the stuff that it takes for that. Christmas service at the theater. Remember that? Last year, downtown. That was crazy. Barbering and cleanup day, we've done that a couple times. Just going around the city, a bunch of us going around the city to various places, cleaning it up, making it look nicer. Trunk or treat we did last year. By the way, we have that coming up again this year. Super excited for that. Serving the kids in this area, particularly this school and the families. Game night, we do that every month. Uh, backpacks for the kids here for the last two years. I don't know how many backpacks we've done over the last two years. Teacher luncheons, bags of love, trunk food, feeding the, the impoverished folks in our community. Magic Hope Chest, which is helping some kids at the high school. Fatherhood Initiative, remember that? Hunter's Dinner, it's easy to forget that one. That was an amazing thing. Clothes and hygiene essentials for some of the struggling families at this church and this community. How about Bibles for Haiti? Feed my starving children. Like all of these things, we couldn't do any of that stuff well, at least on our own. But man, when we're together, we have such incredible strength 
There are so many things that we could do together that we couldn't do on our own. And listen, it doesn't mean that we 100% agree on everything. So important. We don't have to agree totally on everything. We don't have to have all of the same personalities, all the same gifts and, and passions and skills. But we love each other. And we're gracious to each other. And we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, that person wasn't very nice to me, but you know what, maybe they just had a bad day. Instead of going, I ain't ever talking to that person again, right? That's not, that's not what the church does. That's not what a follower of Jesus does. We're all moving in the same direction. We're all pushing in the same direction. Each of us in our own flawed ways. It's beautiful. Like, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful mess. That's what it is. That's what the church is. Can I tell you something to, eat, to each of you? Like, I want to see your eyes. <laughs> we need you. We, we absolutely need you. This church needs you. We need your gifts. We need your skills. We need your passions. We need your quirks. We need every part of your personality. We need you. And we feel it when you're not here, you know? Like we're weaker when you're not here. When part of our body is disconnected, you strengthen the house. Like you're here for a reason tonight. We need you. You're an important part of what we've done in the past, all, all of those things that we just named. And man, you're going to be an important part of what we're going to do in the future. Guys, I hope you're dreaming about stuff that we can do as a church family to love and serve this community and give this community the gospel. I hope you're dreaming about that. We are. As a staff, as a steering team, as leaders, we are. And we're planning stuff within the school. Got some awesome ideas, if I do say so myself. They're not all mine. Stuff in the community. Guys, God is opening doors left and right. Will we walk through them? Will we do it united? Right? Will we do it with, a, a, with faith eyes, looking at our community with faith eyes? And will we do it with strength and courage that only God can provide? But we got to do it together. we got to do it united. Listen, as we, as we move into the fall, and before long, have a seven-day-a-week presence in Barberton, May I just ask you tonight what your part is? And I hope this doesn't sound like a commercial. I, I, I don't want it to. But think individually and think as part of the church. Like individually, what are the things that God has rubbed into your heart that you are passionate about? Like when you see an issue, you see a problem, and it just tears you up. And God's whispering to you and saying, I, need you to do, I want you to do this. I've gifted you this way. I'll strengthen you. But you've got to step out. In faith. What are things within the church? You know, when, when we go over to the new building, I have no idea how this is going to work out. Please pray it works out. I have no idea how it's going to work out. We're going to do two Sunday morning services and one Saturday night service. There's tons of different needs that we have to make all, to make all of that happen. Like, what's your part? Do you like kids? We can help you with kids. We got lots of kids down there every week. It's a privilege to be able to come along. They have tons of energy. They give you energy. They wear you out eventually, but they give you energy. Maybe it's teenagers, you know, coming alongside older kids in some of their formative years. Maybe it's, maybe it's you got a great voice so you can play an instrument. Man, we could use you up here. We, we need more people. We need more musicians and singers. Maybe you're a behind-the-scenes person, and you go, man, I don't know. I got, I got a pretty good ear for sound, or you know, I can, I can click. I can push a button on the computer and advance the slides, right, or the lighting or whatever. Maybe, maybe you like making people feel comfortable. And we got welcome teams. We have coffee teams. 
We have safety teams if you want to make people feel safe. Like we have all of these opportunities. Like, what's your part? So many of you are serving in incredible ways. Awesome. Thank you. We're not asking you to do more. Some of you are not yet, but this is your home. You, you feel like you're, you're connected here. Man, I really challenge you. Step out. I, I got a couple things I'll challenge you to. First one is get connected to other Christians, to other believers. We need to be connected with the world for sure. I mean, consider a group. We have a mechanism in place already. We have this infrastructure in place. All you have to do is take the step and say, yes, I want to be in one. And you start going to it. That's all you have to do. It's so easy. I really challenge you, if you're not connected to a group, you should be. You, I, you won't regret it. Second thing is, what's your part individually and as a campus? What is God rubbing into your heart? What's he challenging you with? And will you follow him with his strength and with his courage? That's my challenge to you tonight.